Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. And if you're visiting for the first time, I'd love to meet you right after the service. We have something called our Discover uh, Area booth, uh, Venandra. Venandra, is that a word? Veranda, thank you, Andrew. Veranda, and uh, no, it's just a banner out there. And go out to the left, and we'd love to meet you. My wife and I will come on out there and shake your hand and give you an elbow bump if that's necessary. And uh, we'd love to meet you out there. So glad you're here. Come on, we're going to get right into the Word today. uh, As we have been studying uh, about the Unstoppable Church, looking at the book of Acts, chapter 2. That's darkness. It's awesome. There we go. Can you see me? You can? Okay. Seems a little dark, don't you think? Oh, whatever. Okay. Ah, there's the light. Well, we've been looking at the Acts chapter 2. Oh, thanks, honey. Acts chapter 2, and uh, we've been looking at the unstoppable church and what it looks like to be, why the church was so unstoppable. And if the church is unstoppable, that means you're unstoppable because you're the church. And we've been looking at this, uh, the story in the book of Acts, walking through the book of Acts, using different words to define what the unstoppable church looks like. We've looked at the word devotion. We looked at the word supernatural. We looked at the word together, uh, being in gathering and together in house to house. And today we're going to look at the word satisfied, the word satisfied, and talking about the idea of how the, uh, the church is unstoppable because it finds its satisfaction in Christ alone and meets the needs of others in the body. And so I want to read that today. The reason we showed this video about Yahweh was because we remember the context of this verse is that these uh, different individuals in Acts were Jewish individuals who were Israelites. They believed in this Yahweh God and they heard stories about this Yahweh God and they heard their great-grandfather and their grandfather and their father and their mother tell them different stories about this Yahweh God, about how he parted the Red Sea and how he caused all of these amazing miracles when he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt into the Promised Land. They heard all of these things and they understood Yahweh and they actually memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. They knew the Mosaic Law. These people understood these things and they all gathered for this feast called Pentecost in Jerusalem where 900,000 people all came upon the city of Jerusalem when it was a a, a population of only 100,000. And so it was a huge party. People would come together. It was a religious feast. And what they would do is they would gather together and offer their sacrifices in the the temple so that the, 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 the sacrifice would be made so that they would experience forgiveness for their sins. And so this was a pretty important journey to Jerusalem to go through the feast of Pentecost. These people were gathered together. Remember, they know about Yahweh. They've heard about Yahweh. They've read the stories about Yahweh. They believe in a higher power. They believe in God. But many of them in this story have never actually encountered a personal relationship with God. They knew it, but they didn't have an understanding in their heart. They hadn't been impacted in their heart. And so here they are at this Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And the Bible says that there was about 120 people who believed that Jesus Christ, this man who walked on the earth, was the coming Messiah. This Messiah that was coming to earth was prophesied about for over 500 years by the Israelites. Uh, in, the, in the books that you read, all throughout the Israelites' teaching in the Torah, you'll see all of these prophets who talked about the coming Messiah. 
Messiah named Jesus, but these Jews did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. There were about 120 people who did, and they accepted Jesus Christ into their life, and Jesus was crucified, and he was buried in the grave, and the Bible says that he rose from the dead, as I've talked about all morning already. He rose from the dead, and he ascended into the clouds, and it says in Acts chapter 2 that the Holy Spirit came down upon those people, and he just ministered in that place, and that day, 3,000 people made a personal decision to believe that Jesus Christ was the coming Messiah and is the Lord and is God. And in that moment, 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ. And you and I see that's where the local church started that day. So that's the context of where we're at, where these different people have experienced this life-transforming power. And we've been looking at what makes this church so absolutely unstoppable. So let's look in the Word today in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And it says this, All the believers were united in heart and mind. They had. Owned was not their own. So they shared everything that they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them. Because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Do you see that? This was a community that had no need. Can you imagine being in a church or being in a community or living in this world where we had no need? That was the idea of this early church's community. There was no needs there. God provided for all of their needs, and they provided for the needs of one another. And you have to notice the language in this verse. It's very important to me that you catch this today because the language in this verse is very important. And by the time we're done, I'm hoping you'll understand the heart behind why this was possible in the church. We see here the verse, it says, that all the believers were united in heart and mind. What were they united around? What, what brought them unity? What brought them together? What brought them to have the same heart and the same mind? It says that the apostles were testifying about the resurrected Jesus. These disciples were focused on one thing and one thing alone. Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. Jesus Christ and Christ risen from the dead. And nothing else. Their only focus was on Jesus Christ. It's a big danger today. We get focused on so many other things in the church. We get focused on so many other things in our walk with God. When these disciples were focused on one thing, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ crucified. He was buried in a grave and he rose on the third day and they constantly focused their attention and allowed the gospel of Jesus Christ to change them. And the way we know it changed them because it says in the scripture that they felt that what they owned was not their own, this feeling. When they experienced the resurrected Jesus Christ and their lives were focused on the resurrected Jesus Christ and they didn't get sidetracked by all this other junk and jargon that's so easily to get sidetracked by, they stayed focused on what mattered the most, God began to transform their feelings. It began to change their soul. It began to change their emotion. It began to change their mind. It began to transform how they thought and how they saw and how they thought and how they acted. He began to change who they were on the inside. Something began to happen inside of them and their, their perspective on what they owned, it was no longer their own. 
The, the life that I once lived before Christ, I was living my life to pursue these dreams and to gain these things and to get this and to get that career and to, and to get that advancement and to get that house and to get that car or to live this life. I'm, I'm pursuing personal gain in my life and then I met the resurrected Jesus. He transformed my life and now I realize, man, nothing I have is my own in the first place. Everything's been given to me by God. What, what now I used to be focused on myself, now I was focused on everybody else. Yeah. There's a transformation that happened, a radical transformation that happened in these people's lives where they were no longer focused on themselves. It was not an individualistic journey. It was not an individualistic relationship with God. It was a community relationship with God. And when God began to move in their heart and God began to move in their mind, he began to transform how they saw everything that they owned. Nothing they owned they thought was theirs. They used to live for themselves. They used to work to attain and be motivated by more and getting more and doing more. And now they're just blessed and thankful for what God has provided for their need. And when God provides above and beyond that need, guess what they do? Well, that's not mine anyways, I'm just going to give it away. You know, the government's tried to do this very thing. And nonprofit organizations for years have tried to provide this type of thing. But did you know that God intended the local church to provide just that? That in one place we could have rich, middle class, and poor, yet have no need. We'd have people who are blessed with finances and blessed with things. And we'd have a middle class folks. And we have maybe lower class folks who maybe don't have as much. But every single class has everything that they need. And the higher class providing for the lower class. And the lower class providing for the middle class. Back and forth it goes. That's called the local church. The government can't accomplish that. Only the church of Jesus Christ can. That was the community that God intended for you and for me to be a part of. Now, that sounds like an exciting church to be in. I don't know about you. That sounds like a place where I want to be, where I get to see, man, there are no needs in the church. There's no need. But it starts with a transformation, a shift in your heart. I mean, look at this verse, and it's actually Acts chapter 2. I don't know why I put 4. It's actually, I think it's Acts 2, 42, I think it is, 44. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Remember the context of this verse. These were Jewish people who were trained and memorized the Mosaic Law. They knew that when they were told to give, now listen, 28% was their tithe. <laughs> 28% plus a little extra, right? So let's just round up to 30 so these guys are given 30% because the Mosaic law taught that it was, it was right for you to give your 30% tithe to the temple. And so they gave their 30% tithe, but it was out of a religious structure. So here they are, trying to follow this Yahweh religious idea. And then they have a radical encounter with God. And it goes from 30% to 100%. There was a radical shift that they realized, man, nothing I have is mine. It's all a gift from God. He provides for all of my needs. Whenever I have above and beyond, it's not mine. There's a need. I'm going to fill it. Why? Because God's just going to give it right back. And he keeps providing for your needs. He keeps providing for your needs. And he keeps providing for your needs. And somehow, some way, there's not a single need in the body of Christ. Are you kidding me? That sounds like a church I want to be a part of. 
we see here that these people had a radical encounter from religion to relationship with Jesus. A religious mindset where the church was sparse for finances to a rela relational mindset where the church was abundant with finances. Nobody was over and above and beyond. No one lived too lavishly. They all just lived exactly where God allowed them to live in their need and they continued to provide for one another. That's amazing. Amen. Why? Why was the church able to do this? Because they found their satisfaction in, in their relationship with Jesus. They didn't find their satisfaction in that new car and they didn't find their satisfaction in their career. And they didn't find their satisfaction in a new promotion. They didn't find their satisfaction in the new house. They didn't find their satisfaction in the lake house. They didn't find their satisfaction in the accolades or the fame or the fortune or the more or the get or the higher. They said those things, they, I, I'm no longer attached to the things of this world. My heart is bought by Jesus. My heaven, heaven is my home. My focus is heaven. Jesus is my focus. And when God wants to bless me and give me and meet my need by providing me a beautiful home praise God but guess what whenever God blesses me he gives it to me so that I can meet the needs of those in the community see following Jesus is so much more powerful than following a religion scarcity in religion provision and bountiful relationship with God leads to you having everything that you need <laughs> I want to go a little bit deeper into this idea. I want to kind of drill down a little bit into this concept of the need. But I need you first to see that this is what the body, this is called body ministry. This is called being a member of the body. This is called being on a team, I'll call it. We kind of our modern thing as a team. This is what it looks like. They say, when you say team, does that mean I'm serving coffee? Well, that's one way to be a part of a team. But a body of ministry is when each of us are serving one another. You're not waiting for an announcement from the pastor that there's a need in the church. You're looking for needs in the church. Why? Because you got everything you need. I got leftovers, guys. I don't know what else to do with it all. I got this money sitting here. It's been in this bank account. I don't know why God gave it to me. I don't need it. I could go out and buy a 57,000-inch screen TV or a brand-new Mercedes-Benz, which nothing wrong with those things. If you want to give me one, God bless you. But you stop and think, okay, I have no attachments to the things of this world. My heaven is my home. Everything I have is provided by God in the first place. It's his. He gave it to me. He provided for all my needs. And in fact, it's kind of above and beyond what I deserve, actually. So therefore, why not give away the extra stuff? Because what's going to happen? God's going to say, oh, you can be faithful that I can give you something and you want to give it away. God bless you. I'm doing it again. I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the body where body serves each other, where we don't wait for a hierarchical way of doing church, where we wait for the pastor to give orders for the church to do things. Get over that. Start serving each other. Start meeting the needs of one another. Now, during our COVID season, this COVID season, I sent out an email to the church. We raised like three grand in like one hour. I just sent one email. Hey, we need some money for finances. Like 3,000 bucks came in just like that. So I went around the church, my wife and I, looking for needs. Okay, who, who can we help? Can we help with this person? We couldn't find one need in the church. I couldn't give money away. I asked people, can I give you some money? No, I don't need your money. It's okay. Well, I know you lost your job. Can I help you? No, no, we're good. Hey, can I get you some food? No, no, we, we're taken care of. There wasn't one need in the church. I said, what's going on? Like, somebody take this money from me. 
And eventually we went to Hope Mission in Northeast Calgary where they help children in, in that area who are in need. And we gave the money to them and said, hey, just take it, do whatever you need. And we bought some backpacks and did a bunch of stuff with it to try to help kids in need because God loves kids, amen? There was no need in the church. Now that's a sign of health in a church when you can't find needs in, in, in the church. Now I'm sure if we dug a little deeper, we could find some needs. Be like, well, I could use a little bit more bread in my house or maybe a, maybe a nicer, uh, nicer this or nicer that or whatever. But at the end of the day, we couldn't find a need in the church. And God is so faithful to us as a church because we met the needs of one another and we were able to bless people outside of our church. Okay, let's look at this verse here. I want to go a little bit deeper on this here this morning. Look at this verse. It says, there were no needy people among them. I love how he uses this word, this word no needy people. <laughs> Why? Because all of their needs were satisfied. Remember, the context of this verse is in the physical need. So in that context, in the Eastern context, it was referring to selling your possessions and money and finances. And so I'm not going to talk about finances today, but you need to know that that was the context of this verse. But I want to drill down a little bit deeper there's this, this idea that the, this word of need, actually, the definition is lacking or deficiency. The root Greek word of the word need is actually to be bound up, to be tightened with a chain, to be in bondage or to be bound. That's the root word of the word need. So we have this word here, need, a needy, the idea that my deficiency or my inadequacies leaves me in a place where I'm bound, leaves me in a place where I'm in bondage, leaves me in a place where I'm tied up, where I can't go forward, where I can't make a step further. you got to hear me today. You cannot be a, con a healthy contributor to your society and to your church unless you find a way, by God's grace, by finding your satisfaction in Him, by getting all of your needs filled. Now listen, for those of you who are part of the CBE or maybe you have a psychology degree, this is something maybe you've heard about it. Um, he, they've expounded it since then. Uh, there's about eight of them now, but th there's a guy called Maslow's Hierarchy. And he identifies five basic needs that we have in our lives. And it's the physiological need of food and water and safety. And then there's the internal of love and the internal of identity and esteem and self-actualization, which is you actually experiencing purpose in your life, meaning and fulfillment. And so the idea of this here is that is that when you meet the different lower levels, psych, uh, physiological and safety, when you meet the lower level of needs in your life, the other needs in your life become more visible. They become more aware. They become more evident in your life. And so once you meet the food and water and shelter aspect, now we start dealing with relationships and love and esteem and identity and confidence. And then you start dealing with purpose and meaning. Notice the last three are internal. So we're blessed in Canada. Now, I, I don't want to make a blanket statement. I'm sure that we can find people in Canada who need food and, and, and shelter, right? Like, we can find those people. But for the most part, for a majority of Canadians and, and North Americans, we are pretty blessed people to turn on our, our faucet and water comes out, right? And you can find bread and probably find shelter. And so we have our first two needs mostly met just by living in North America. Not everybody, but a majority of people have their needs met just by living in Canada, which means this, Canadians have a deeper level of inner deficiency than we realize. So we have got everything on the outside figured out, but in reality, there's a deficiency on the inside. What happens is, is that we tend to find our identity and our relationships and our purpose and really our satisfaction from other things. 
We start finding ourselves in a place where there's this inner need and this inner desire where we are missing out on something deeper. Uh, hear me, you cannot be a healthy contributor to society or the church until you can figure out your internal need as well. Now this is what we often do to one of two things which I see. Either A, you have a deep deficiency in your life, a deep need, and so what you do is, is you go out and try to help other people. This is a big thing nowadays. You go out and you know, go help a social cause or go make a difference internationally or go do something great, and you're wanting to make an impact to really make yourself feel better because of the deficiency in your life. Or the opposite, you've got needs in your life and deficiencies in your life and you're lacking in your life and you're needy. The definition of the word needy and you don't help anyone. So we have two types of people. One who's on the outside, it looks great, but in reality, I don't want anyone to know that there's a deficiency on the inside, but I'm going to keep looking the part. And the other one says, I'm just needy. All right, you know it, I know it, and I'm not even going to try. <laughs> See, these two types of deficiencies, these two types of areas of our life where it leaves us feeling as though we are internally struggling because we lack desire we, we, or we lack our, our, our uh, purpose and identity and, and meaning and value. And, and so what happens is, is that on the internal deficiency, we begin to do the, we get to express it externally. So we express it externally by being in an unhealthy relationship or maybe it's addiction, it's drugs or alcohol or pornography or overspending or maybe it's looking the part or maybe it's going through relationships or maybe it's getting a divorce or maybe whatever it might be maybe spending too much or finances but we begin to express this on our, our outward life and now our life is defined by our deficiency we begin to uh, the foundation of our life is the things that we're lacking when in reality the only one that can fill the insufficiencies and the discrepancies and the deficiencies in your life is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we hear that, we say, yeah, 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 yeah. But no, no, having an experience with the gospel of the resurrected Jesus Christ is much different than making an intellectual ascent with my mind that I am a Christian. I met a lot of Christians, I met a lot of Catholics, I met a lot of moral people who live their life morally and go to church and do the religious thing, but wonder why can't I experience the life change that this guy's talking about? We gotta go back to the beginning and get your life focused on the resurrected Jesus Christ. He is the only one that will bring the satisfaction in your life. No relationship, not having another child, not getting married again, or maybe, maybe not ending your marriage, not, not that drug and not that alcohol and not that thing, and for a moment will fill your meter up for one second and it leaves you feeling decrepit and gross and broken and old and the deficiency gets deeper and deeper and deeper until you have an encounter and an experience with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Because when he transforms you and he changes you, he begins to change that feeling inside of you that I need to fight for my life and I need to, I gotta get my motivation. I gotta be more and do more and I gotta look better and I gotta, I gotta get better this and better that and have, because I wanna make sure everyone knows I got everything figured out. And I wanna make, I don't want anyone to think that I've don't got my stuff together when in reality, that's exactly what, what Jesus wants to see that you don't got your stuff together. That's what he wants. He wants you to say, yeah, I got food and I got water and I got shelter, but man, I got no relationships. I don't know who the heck I am. I got no identity. And man, I don't even know what my purpose is. I don't know what my meaning in life is. 
So we understand there's a God. We understand there's a Yahweh. We understand there's words written in a Bible, but we haven't personally experienced the resurrected Jesus. So what happens is, as you experience the resurrected Jesus, He begins to change your life. You no longer live for the things of this world. You no longer find yourself pursuing the, the selfless, empty things of this world, but you find yourself living for Jesus. What does he do? He begins to transform you, and you begin to experience transformation in your life, and you begin to experience God's move in your life, and relationship in your life, and identity, and what happens is you begin to look at your stuff and realize, man, I don't need any of this stuff to make me satisfied. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need a, I don't need a bigger this. I don't need more of that. I just am satisfied with what God's provided for me, and what happens is, is that God begins to bless you, and now you're serving your society and you're serving your church out of meaning, out of purpose, out of being satisfied not by people and not by possessions and not by things and not by investments, but by the only name, Jesus Christ. My life is not my own and I just live on this planet as a sojourner, as a, as a vagabond, just passing through until I spend an eternity with my Father. I live like that, I begin to experience the local church. Many of you have been to church and you think, man, the church I went to is kind of stucky and just kind of smelly and it's just not life-giving. Well, listen, the church is unstoppable. And it's meant to be a community of people who have all things in common, who are full of the life-giving power of Jesus Christ. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. I'm trying to stir you up today. The church you're a part of is alive and powerful. Why? Because we don't find our satisfaction from the things of this world. We find our satisfaction from Christ. And then you begin to live out your purpose. You begin to make a difference in the, the world today, not because it's making you feel better about yourself, but because you're bringing glory to Jesus. You, don't, you pursue that career not because you need that job. You pursue that career because you know that if you get that opportunity, God opens it up for you. You're able to be a light to the people in that area and that's going to give you influence and opportunity to reach more people. See, this is the unstoppable church that I know about. As I end our time today, I want to just read this last verse to you. In verse 33, it says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. So powerfully at work in them that there was no needy persons among them. Now, use our definition with that word needy. There were no bound up people among them. There was no, peop there was no people who were in bondage. There was no people who were broken. There was no people who, who, who were struggling. Like people came to the house of God and were part of the community and their needs were identified. I got a need. I struggled with addiction for many years of my life and God broke that off of my life through hardship and discipline and time and effort. And I stand here today as the pastor of this church saying, man, I am broken. I am a sinner. I was an addict. And guess what? By God's grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed my life today, I could die a happy man knowing I don't need anything else. I live a life to exalt, glorify the name of Jesus. And you can do the same thing just by making a personal decision to follow him. I can't see past this camera, so I don't know who's in the room today. 
But all I know is this, is that Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. And I believe there's a lot of folks in the room today who maybe have been to church and been to, been to the experience, but maybe hasn't experienced it for themselves for real. Come on, would you close your eyes with me? Would you stand and then close your eyes because I don't want you to fall? Come on, I just want to, I always ask the question at the end of our time together to make sure there isn't anyone in the room who wants to start a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, really simple. I love about serving the Lord is that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you're saved. It's not this big, big deal. It's this very simple thing. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. Jesus Christ is Lord. You'll be saved. Is anybody here today just wants to give their life to Jesus, wants to start a journey with him? Would you just put your hand in the air so I can see you? You just want to give your life to Jesus and start a journey with him. Maybe make a rededication of your life to him today. I'm not going to call you forward. I just want to see who I'm praying for. Come on, that's awesome. Praise God. Come on, Father, I just pray for this young man, Lord, to raise his hand. We're just so thankful today that two people today in church, Lord, gave their lives to you. Uh, um, in our first service, Father, a young man raised his hand as well. Lord, the Bible says just to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. You're not into religion, God. You're into relationship, which means, God, relationships are, are, are your relationship with you is like, like, your mercies are new, like the rising of the sun. We are new creations in Christ. So I just pray for this young man, Father. I pray, God, you'd be with him. And all I pray, you'd just lead him and help him and guide him. Believe in his heart. Confess with his mouth that you're Lord and Jesus he saved. And I pray for the rest of the room today, God. Lord, let us not be kind of people, Father, who are, uh, just live this life not experiencing the unstoppable church and not experiencing the life-giving God that we serve. Today, God, I pray that they would leave today full of faith, knowing the Lord, you will provide for all of our needs. That you are faithful and that you are good and that you endure forever, God. We love you, God, and we're so thankful to be a part of your house and to be followers of you and to be on this journey together and in our groups as we join in community and as we just try to reach as many people as we can for God's kingdom in the city of Calgary. We thank you for Love City Church. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing. We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.